Hello and welcome to this week's Market Tidbits. This week I'm super excited to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is the fitness industry. I'm here with Steffi Noel, one of the project managers at Dasha Consulting, and we're going to talk about some changes in the Chinese fitness industry. Hello everyone. Back in 2019, Dasha Consulting published an article talking about when Hosa Fitness closed its doors. And we found that Hosa Fitness was only one gym feeling the symptoms of a larger change that was happening in the Chinese fitness industry. And this change is moving from traditional gyms to more flexible, more digital, and more social experience. In this report, we found that around 80 to 90% of fitness clubs were lasting less than 12 months. And one phenomenon that would often happen is a fitness club would collect a lot of money from their from the clients and then it would close overnight and so the clients were left having paid one to sometimes even five years of their fees and then not being able to use the gym anymore so one what are the reasons for the failures of these traditional gyms well first of all if you've ever entered a chinese gym you would notice that the first thing that happens is a bunch of salespeople come up to you. The sales model of these gyms were commission-based. So these salespeople were very aggressive and they were very short-term oriented. They wanted you to sign up, but they did not necessarily care to keep you happy in the long term because you had already paid for over a year's worth of membership. Because of this, the quality of the gyms remained very low and the spending of the gyms was not well managed. As a result of this business model, the cash flow is really drying up for these uh, prepaid model gyms. However, there's some changes in the Chinese fitness industry, and some of those changes are a shift to new retail, uh, digitalization, and making working out more social. And COVID-19 has accelerated these trends. For example, during the pandemic, data from Bilibili showed fitness exercise videos had reached 660 million views, which is an increase of nearly 200% from the same period last year. Steffi, do you have any experience with Billy Billy video workouts? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very interesting that you share some of your experience in, in offline, offline gyms. I'm not that familiar. I directly started to go to, to online APPs or, or video platforms. So now I understand even more why I prefer this. If you don't have this kind of approach, it's much more simple. Um, after we can mention so many APPs that are very successful uh, now for gyms and, I'm, and that I'm using as well. But because you mentioned Bilibili right now, and I'm a user of Bilibili, um, it's, I think it's, totally different from, of course, the experience you have, not only because it's online, but on Bilibili compared to other platforms, like most of the content is free for like the fitness KOL. So it's mainly like the same model as we can find in the West, much more in Europe and in the US with a lot of fitness girls, fitness boys doing like free videos online, of usually small, and it's for them a way to attract more consumers to buy their um, their paid programs, for example, on their own APPs or their own websites or, or this kind of things. But most of, the, of their videos are free. And it's a bit different even after we can talk about the APPs where they usually have longer programs, maybe during 20, for 20 to 40 minutes, even up, up to one hour on Keep, for example. But on Bilibili, I would say it's it's smaller, smaller types of um, programs. Uh, it's like up to 10 minutes. And the idea is really to be able to push 
more and more Chinese people to do daily workouts. So that's why it's like eight minutes, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, something like this. And the idea is to be like, um, yeah, more in the daily approach to, to, to work out. And so it's totally targeting more like tier one cities people um, that are more like having harsh days, some society pressure, work pressure. Um, so that's targeting this kind of people. And for example, myself, I'm following a girl um, who is like, I would say, small to medium kind of fitness KOL. Her name is Ouyang Chunxiao. And she is, um, I think, following, um, followed by 1 million people approximately. So that's not that huge, but still. And I like her because um, she is really into this new approach to, to, to work out. So she's doing like this type of like 10 minutes, easy workout at home, easy workout on the bed, easy workout on, workout on the sofa, for example. But she's really into not saying that the idea is to get the beautiful type of body that the society is praising, but more to feel well, um, to feel healthy, to feel good in your body. That sometimes when I look at Keep or Super Monkey, I see this a bit well and we are more into showing off your body, I feel. I don't know what you feel about this, uh, Alison. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Um, also talking about the transition from traditional gyms to these more modern gyms and you bring up the that the fitness influencer that you follow talks more about feeling good rather than just looking good. And mm -hmm. I do think I have seen a shift in the marketing message that these types of gyms use because I follow, because when I first went to China, I would go, I would go gym hunting, like how people go apartment hunting. I would look at like 10 gyms before I commit to one, because when you buy a gym in China, you're getting like a two year long commitment. So I took it really seriously. As a result, unfortunately, I have a lot of these people from salespeople from traditional gyms on my WeChat account. I still get marketing messages from them. And actually, a lot of their promotion messages on WeChat, uh, they're messages that would not really be considered very ethical in the West, actually. For example, one of them took um, pictures of overweight women from a dove ad from a western dove ad and hmm. as you know dove it's the the beauty brand it's focused on body positivity yeah, so the totally. gym it took this copyrighted image and then on top of that image it put they wrote you don't want to look like this so go to the gym yeah and yeah, yeah so Crazy. and i have not seen that type of advertising on tradition on uh the more modern gyms like keep or super monkey or a lot of the billy billy fitness influencers they are more about wellness and well-being and feeling good rather than using shaming to mm -hmm. market or focusing only on aesthetics mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and there is this um, whole, whole social aspect that you find on keep so um for those who don't know the keep is this um, fitness ap that has been extremely successful um in china accelerated by covid19 uh, of course but if you look at Keep in 20, 2019, at the end of 2019, and Keep at the end of the beginning of 2020, there was like a 205% increase in the downloads and so, of course, in the users as well. But if you look at the Keep, for example, this APP or even Super Monkey, so who is like both offline and online, you have this social aspect where people can share their results, fitness results, photos of their bodies, 
And here we see, oh, of course, we see both people a bit, a bit showing off, but that's, that's common. Like it's not, it's a national, international trend. But we see a lot of people just sharing fitness results and being part of the community to make sure that why I'm feeling better in my body after this program, that is not to lose weight, but that is to have more muscles and to feel, to feel more like, um, more strong in daily life. And people are sharing these results more in this way, I feel. Um, I, I don't know. I, I know, Alison, that you're also, I think, um, um, familiar with Super Monkey. You went to Super Monkey as well in China. So, so yeah. what, what's your experience of this one compared to the first one you, you mentioned, for example? <laughs> yeah. Yes, so the first gym I mentioned is physical. And mm -hmm. then after I gave up on physical, I started going to Super Monkey. And actually how I got involved with Super Monkey is a friend shared a class with me over WeChat. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we went to the class together, you pay one time. So it's like maybe 60 to 100 renminbi for a class. And then you go to the class and there's no front desk and there's no locker rooms, but there is little cubbies to change your clothes. So Super Monkey really capitalizes on a tiny amount of real estate, but it attracts many, many people because it has classes going all day. And each person only pays 60 to 80 renminbi. There's no membership, so you don't have to commit to anything and you're not pressured into buying anything. Mm -hmm. And actually, Super Monkey, um, for example, it bought the rights to Lay's Mill classes. And Lay's Mill is, I believe it's a British workout routine. It comes with the equipment and then the teachers are trained in that routine. So it is focused um, on like moderately building your muscles. It's not super intense, but it's not super light either. And this has been super popular in China. So I noticed that one of these trends is definitely the social aspect. Like I mentioned, mm -hmm. I first saw this app through WeChat. Its main platform is through a WeChat mini program. And then after the class, the teacher will take a class picture where everybody gets together in the picture and then everybody in the class will receive the picture afterward. So there's many ways that this is also digitalized, which is also mm -hmm. um, through the signing up to the class. You don't have to have a membership card or anything like that. Um, when you share the pictures, when you share the class with friends, and when you sign into the class, you have to bring your phone actually into the class to sort of check in. So everything is very digital. It is very much new retail for working out. And it is mm. also very social. Mm, yeah, totally. So what we learned from this, I feel, is also that the membership um, at the main business model is, is, is not like the right thing to do now to, to go to this fitness market, this fitness um, industry. Membership is not working anymore, at least alone, um, as SuperMonkey has totally change this this kind of business model and if you look at keep for example where i'm more familiar with uh they are also like kind of giving up on memberships so they still offer memberships but they are really um diversifying diversifying sorry their business model um they're really trying to turn user traffic into profit in different ways um, so of course they have a bit of membership, but that's really not their main, um, their main revenue source, I believe, because they have paid courses, which is, as you mentioned, um, Alison, one by one. So it's pay per course, um, yeah. that changed everything. Um, they also, so of course I believe that now the, the fact that they're turning online is also like a way for them to diversify more the revenues from advertising that it's easier to do online. And also something is the e-commerce part. I think that's something rather I'm not seeing you, but uh, bigger and bigger for these fitness um, gyms that they are going online 
um, to sell like um, something that are not directly related for not only sports equipment or sports apparel, for example, but they are selling like food, for example, food supplements or, or, or even just healthy type of food. And that's what we mentioned before, but the whole, the whole like fitness industry I think in China is more mature now. It's not only about doing sports in an offline gym, uh, but it's much more into like making sure that your body is healthy from the outside, from the inside, and having the right food that the uh, the right sports, and not do not just exercising like five times uh, a week, one hour time, just to 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 lose as much weight as possible. It's really about as well like nutrition um, and being healthy. So that's that's also interesting when we look at what keep is selling as food uh, online. It's interesting. Right. So let's talk about some of the general statistics for fitness in China, because I always find this very interesting. So the number, the percent of Chinese who are gym goers is actually only 4.9% compared mm-hmm. to 20.3% in the U.S. However, the amount of people who regularly exercise in China is way beyond the number of gym goers. It actually, in a a recent survey, it was actually 30%. However, this also includes a lot of the silver generation who are some of the, in China, the silver generation is some of the most active group. And again, this is moderate activity, not necessarily weightlifting or doing 400 push-ups a day, but it's actually just dancing in parks and playing badminton. So the, a lot of the Chinese population, they, they do more moderate exercises and they do more classes and they don't necessarily hit it hard at the gym. I don't know how it is in France, but in America, definitely gym rats like myself, we have a little bit of a different attitude. It's, it's about gains and not just about general wellness. Yeah, I would say it's kind of the same. It's really around fat loss or figure shaping not that much about just health maintenance, for example. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's our tidbit on the Chinese fitness industry. It's definitely super interesting to keep our eye on because some of these changes are happening so fast. Like we mentioned, the changes of digitalization and um, users wanting more flexible models, we started to observe in 2019. However, when the coronavirus happened, these trends were really accelerated and now they're unavoidable. Thank you, Steffi, for being on the show today. Thank you very much, Alison. Thank you, everyone. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this week's Market Tidbits on the Chinese fitness industry. You can find the links to our articles on the case study of Keep Fitness, the case study of Super Monkey, and the 2019 article on the fall of traditional gyms in the description below.